Today's episode of Run Past Michigan is brought to you by Robinhood. With Robinhood, you can invest in stocks, options, and ETFs right from your phone. You can even spend and earn interest on uninvested cash. And with fractional shares, you can buy stocks in any amount, including companies like Apple, Amazon, and Tesla, for as little as $1. And that's with no commission fees or account minimums. So whether you're new to investing and ready to learn or just looking for a better experience, stop waiting and join the 10 million Robinhood users. Listeners can get started with a free stock by going to runpass.robinhood.com. That's runpass.robinhood.com. All investments involve risk. This is not an investment advice, a recommendation, or a solicitation of any security. Other fees may apply. Visit rbnhd.co slash fees. The free stock program is subject to certain limitations. Annual percentage yield, APY, or uninvested cash is paid by program banks and is variable. Robinhood is not a bank. want the Big Ten Championship, and we're going to win it as a team. No man is more important than the team. No coach is more important than the team. The team, the team, the team. When the old season is over, you and I know it's going to be Michigan again. Michigan. All right, everybody. Welcome back to another episode of Run Past Michigan, our RPM podcast here on The Athletic. I am Nick Baumgartner, along with Austin Meek. Here in the dog days of winter, Austin and Ann Arbor, it's finally getting cold, and you are being fully welcomed here into uh, to our lovely area. As uh, this is just miserable weather, <laughs> I don't know how else to put it at this point. This is terrible, terrible stuff. You know outside. what, though, I got my Pat Mahomes jersey on today. Oh yes, you did. Uh, <laughs> I might as well be seventy degrees outside. I'm on. I'm on cloud nine. That's Chiefs right. Who am I talking so. to? Yeah, Austin, the long-suffering <laughs> Chiefs fan. What did you live That's in right. Kansas for? Thirty years? Thirty years? Twenty-nine? Pretty much the first thirty yeah. years of my life. I, I, yeah, I lived in Kansas uh, or the Kansas City area, uh, yeah. and awesome. yeah, I grew up a Royals fan. The Royals were just terrible, basically yeah. every year of my life. The Chiefs, yeah, they kind of went back and forth between having right. good years where they choked in the playoffs and then they had some pretty bad years as well. So this is, uh, it's been kind of bittersweet for me because I've been gone for six years and yeah, <laughs> both, oh, yeah. both the teams I grew up rooting for They've suddenly exploded. became great. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, so you can commiserate with the Detroit sports fan, I suppose, maybe a little bit. Although I don't think that anything's ever been worse than the year that this market just had. I think somebody actually had that stat. Like somebody found a stat that like the Detroit teams, I can't think of it off the top of my head. I, I wish I could because I forget who did it. But it was like the worst record combined in like North American sporting history or something like that. So, hey, everybody, uh, at least 2020's here. <laughs> and on we go. Uh, in any event, uh, Austin will enjoy the Super Bowl for sure. The rest of you should as well because Patrick Mahomes is a lot of fun to watch. Uh, but we can. we're here to talk Michigan today. Uh, of course, Michigan Austin with two new coaching staff hires to fill the departures uh, of Chris Partridge and Anthony Campanelli. Uh, those two coming in are Brian Jean Mary and am I saying that right? Or, yeah, I wonder that too. Jean uh, or John or something like Jean that. Yeah, John? yeah. And then uh, Bob Shoup, um, longtime uh, defensive coordinator for uh, what Penn State, Tennessee, worked with Don Brown forever. I guess your first impressions on. Uh, on the on the uh, swaps here, let's just put it that way. The, so Campanelli and Partridge, uh, a safety or a uh, linebackers, Vipers, whatever you want to call it, slash safeties coach, uh, are those are gone, and those two have been replaced. Well, Gene Mary was the one uh, that I think maybe caught people by surprise a little bit because quite a bit of the speculation had been that that one was going to get filled internally 
uh, because right. you know the Bob Shoepire had been out there. I think Bruce Feldman of the Athletic broke that news. Uh, so that one we knew it was coming. Uh, yeah. But when Michigan announced uh, Gene Mary, I, I think you know there probably were quite a few Michigan fans doing some uh, quick googling there to say, okay, who yeah. is this guy? And I, I think when you looked into it, you probably uh, you probably liked the hire for the most part. Uh, you know, a guy who's uh, been in you know recruited in some uh, some big time places, uh, had mm-hmm. been with Charlie Strong at USF, uh, at Texas, at Louisville, had been at Georgia Tech, I believe. Yeah. Uh, so. I think all things considered, um, it's probably, you know, I, I think people probably feel okay about how this, this you know, ended up uh, turning out because losing Chris Partridge, obviously that, that hurts Michigan from a recruiting perspective. Uh, uh-huh. He was he was the guy on that staff who, you know, you, you had confidence could go into just about anywhere and uh, and at least have Michigan, you know, in the, in the mix for high-level players. Uh, but, you know, Bob Shoup, obviously a guy who's been a lot of different places, uh, brings in a, you know, a pretty long resume as a defensive coach uh, and has a history with Don Brown as well, which, which helps. Yeah. Um, so overall, you know, I, I, you probably feel like you know, Michigan got a pretty even swap there, if, if not maybe an upgrade in terms of coaching experience. Yeah, it's interesting. Um, Gene Mary, of course, is only 42 years old, but his resume would, would suggest that he's like 70. Because this guy, this guy has been coaching. You are not going to find many uh, many coaches as deep into their career that have as many probably quality stops um, and kind of feathers in their cap as a recruiter. Uh, and then as a guy who's coached linebackers and secondaries and, and everything else and been a co-DC or an assistant, or I guess he's uh, an actual defensive coordinator for Charlie Strong there at uh, USF. But I was in, um, I actually was living in Kentucky when uh, Strong got to Louisville. And I can remember still the turnaround they made uh, in short order with, you know, a bunch of players that, you know, sort of Teddy Bridgewater, of course, being the number one uh, probably guy that everybody remembers from that time. But a bunch of guys from Florida, from Miami, from South Florida, uh, a bunch of guys who fit what they were trying to do. And they had that thing cooking in no time. And, you know, it's it's no shocker that uh, G. Mary, of course, followed uh, Charlie Strong to Texas. And then again to UCF as a guy who's signed big players at pretty much every place he's ever been. But I think that when we go forward here, and, and we, we're going to get into the uh, coaching clinic that we went to last week uh, shortly, but we did see Austin, you know, sort of Jim Harbaugh's latest anyway. I'm not sure this is the thing that they've had forever, but I mean, his his sort of core value, evaluation plan, whatever you want to call it for, for how they're looking at athletes. And, um, you know, I think that uh, he's putting a, pre- he put a premium on at least one of these jobs of you're going to have to have a recruiting background and a recruiting pedigree, but I also want you to have I want you to be able to evaluate talent and I want you to be able to look beyond sort of just, Hey, there's 10 awesome players in Georgia. Everybody knows it. Let's go try to get two of them. Right. So I think that maybe, maybe we're seeing a little bit more of advancement in terms of Jim Harbaugh's, you know, recruiting approach, whatever it is, I'm not sure, but I guess we'll see how it plays out in the coming months. Yeah. I did think that was interesting listening to Jim Harbaugh last week at the Michigan high school coaches clinic. Uh, He spent a lot of his time talking about, they call it the fit score, uh, yeah. and it's this whole metric they have to evaluate 
high school players uh, and, and where they you know, where they would fit in with the Michigan program. And I believe he said 50% of it was, was the tape, you know, just the player on the field, and then the other 50% was uh, a little more of like an intangible evaluation of you know things like character and, and work ethic mm-hmm. and academic achievement and, and those types of things. Uh, you know, the schools take different approaches. Uh, there certainly are schools out there that just, you know, they just flood the zone, right? Like they yep. throw out hundreds of offers and right. whoever is the first one to sign on the dotted line, you're in. Uh, there's other schools that are really super selective. I, I remember on the West Coast, you know, Stanford always had fewer offers than like any other school in the yeah. country. Like you'd have schools with 500 offers out there and Stanford would have like 50 or something because they are right. super selective in who they take. seems like Michigan uh, maybe trends toward the, the more selective side. Uh, you know, there's some academic factors that, that play in there. Um, so, you know, it, you're looking for good players. Uh, you're looking for players who fit. Um, it, it was interesting to kind of get a peek behind the curtain and see like what exactly, uh, what exactly the coaches are evaluating when they're deciding who to put on that recruiting board. Yeah. And it's not to say that they wouldn't have, uh, preferred to keep, you know, Chris Partridge or Anthony Campanelli. I think obviously they would have preferred, preferred to keep both of them. Uh, but, but with, you know, cause obviously it's, you know, it's not changed and they like the job both, both guys were doing, but I can say that you, you mentioned it, the flood, the zone concept when Jim Harbaugh first got hired. Uh, that was their recruiting approach at Michigan. They flooded everything. I mean, they it was it was the Wild West. That's how you end up with, you know, a coaching staff going to seventy eight satellite camps in the second <laughs> year of existence. Okay, I mean, it was just like they were just throwing offers out everywhere. He was trying to build relationships with anybody and and everybody, and they just flooded them across the board and said, "What you know, what areas can we sort of pinpoint and just attack?" That's how they recruited in the very beginning. Um, and you know, they recruited that way for a few different reasons. I think one, it was Harbaugh's first time back in college football in quite a while and things changed so fast in the sport. He was trying to get back used to it again. And two, they were trying to capitalize on, you know, the, this is all brand new. Um, you know, the new car smell, so to speak, that always works in recruiting for your first two full cycles. And then when that's gone, you either have to have championships uh, to sell, or you have to have some sort of more rigid plan. Uh, Michigan has since, you know, sort of developed more of a, a rigid plan. I don't know every detail of their recruiting. Uh, I think they would sooner see me, uh, you know, <laughs> anywhere else but inside their recruiting room. So obviously that hasn't happened. But I but I do know that you can just sense over the last few years uh, they've sort of tried to tweak their recruiting approach. I think it's always something that's changing a little bit. Uh, it's interesting to see, like we saw, we saw the, the fit score, everything else. Um, you know, I don't know. I think that part of that too is, Michigan's finding itself in a situation where they're going to have to find ways to find the most value they can out of every single player they recruit. Because I think that Jim Harbaugh has probably admitted to himself that, um, hey guys, we can't go to Texas, post up with Alabama, Ohio State, Clemson, and whomever and get that kid. Because he's not looking at us. And you can we can sit here and talk about everything else that we want to talk about. Well, they, you know, people want to insinuate this or that or claim this or that, but... They haven't won anything, so they're going to have to sort of, you know what I mean? They're going to have to reestablish that recruiting pact or pitch or whatever it is on the fly, and I think that, uh, you know, maybe that's maybe that's ongoing here uh, with these two hires. 
Yeah, I mean, anytime you make a coaching hire, you know, there's there's always kind of a balance of what does this guy bring to the table as a recruiter? What does he bring to the table as a coach? Uh, a guy like you know, Chris Partridge, when when Michigan hired mm-hmm. Chris Partridge, uh, didn't have a ton of coaching experience, right? He'd right. been a been a high school coach in New Jersey, had a lot of connections, uh, opened some doors for for Michigan in recruiting, and I think became a you know a, a very good coach. Everything that uh, everything you heard about Chris Partridge while he was here was that he wasn't just a guy who was like you know picking up the footballs at practice and then going right. out to recruit right. like he, he could actually coach um but it just kind of is you know there's always that kind of trade-off in terms of of the background of the coaches you hire and it seems like uh the two guys that are coming into the staff it's kind of maybe like right in the middle right like it's not mm-hmm. you know Jim Harbaugh didn't go out and hire a couple of high school coaches who are going to bring a bunch of kids uh that they coached in high school they, that, that's right. not the direction they went uh they hired two guys who'd been around college football for a long time, uh, but when you've been around college football a long time, then you've also done a lot of recruiting, and you have a yeah, lot of recruiting right. connections. So in, in some ways, it feels like maybe the best of both worlds in terms of bringing in two guys who should be effective recruiters for Michigan, uh, certainly have been around long enough uh, that, that they know that part of the job, but also uh, you know, two two good coaches from what we can tell. Um, I yep. am interested, uh, and you and I both got to hear uh, Don Brown speak at the clinic as well and, and break down some film. You know, after the season, there was kind of the typical, uh, you know, grumbling, I guess, about yeah, Michigan's right. defense, how they played against Ohio State. Uh, I thought they played okay against Alabama, but but gave up some big plays. Um, you know, there was a kind of a brief window of time where there was a little speculation about is this the time that Don Brown uh, goes somewhere else? Doesn't look like that's going to happen. He's here. He's the defensive coordinator. How do you see uh, Don Brown and Bob Shoup uh, kind of working together? Do you do you think maybe Bob Shoup will bring some ideas that we could see show up in, in Michigan's defense next year? Maybe, but I think a lot of them are going to be pretty sim- similar to Don Brown's. Uh, if mm-hmm. I, I think Because I think Don Brown, when you get down to it, is probably a person who's shaped uh, Bob Shoup's career as much maybe not completely but I think he's had an influence on it uh they were I think um he played for Don Brown maybe for a year at Yale or at least was a GA with Don Brown at Yale then he was on his staff at UMass uh when Don Brown was the head coach there they may have crossed paths in the northeast at another time but they sort of followed similar um you know coaching paths up along the northeast there and then you know of course James Franklin uh being another you know another um uh, a person who, who connects the two is Don Brown also worked for James Franklin when he was at Maryland. And then of course, Shoup with Vandy and, uh, and Penn state. So, you know, it's um, maybe, but I also think that it's something that, uh, you know, he can probably bring some different perspectives from other things he's learned, but I think a lot of it is, um, you know, they kind of approach football, I think from a similar standpoint. Um, I, I also would be interested to see, you know, we hear more about Brian Jean Mary's ability to recruit than Bob Shoup's, but you know, I, the one guy who I think is maybe the most underrated recruiter on Michigan's coaching staff in terms of hit rate is Don Brown. I mean, Don Brown mm-hmm. consistently finds, you know, Quiddy Pay, Josh Uche, uh, these guys along the Northeast and then down into Florida uh, along that kind of Atlantic coast or whatever you want to call it. Um, you can go up and down the list. I mean, he has found more guys that were lower rated, no one had ever heard of, you know, angry Michigan recruiting Twitter was complaining when the kids got the offer. And I'm not saying that every one of these kids has panned out, but most of these kids have panned out. And in terms of, and that's because, you know, Don Brown's been around football a long time. He's got a ton of relationships and it's people that he trusts that send him kids and send him names and things of that nature. 
uh, and he sort of recruits with his gut. And I'm interested, I'd be interested for another guy like Bob Shoup, who's been around forever and ever and ever, since 85. He's much old, he's 10 years older than Brian Jean Mary, who's been in, sort of in the Charlie Strong uh, coaching arm really for a decade. So, you know, you've got one guy who's been sort of doing it one way and probably hitting the same areas, I think, and another who's been all over the place a little bit. And I'm interested to see how either of those uh, play off each other or, if, or you know, uh, how long Bob Shoup's going to be here. You know, we don't know that either. So, um, you know, it's an interesting scenario, but I think it's uh, I think it's a good hire. I think he's probably overqualified to be a safeties coach. So yeah. anytime you can get that, that's pretty good. So I, I think it'll be good. But I'm, I am interested to see what this does uh, for Michigan's recruiting. I'm interested to see what Shoup and Brown, if they're both together through the season here, as we expect it to be today, um, you know, the type of players they continue to target and the type of defense they, they start to field. Yeah, well, speaking of that, uh, The Athletic right now, uh, we're doing our first look blitz, uh, attempting to cobble together depth charts uh, here on January 22nd. So, uh, yeah, obviously yeah. very uh, early on in the in the process of uh, looking ahead to the 2020 season, uh, but I have been spending some time going through that the last couple of days. I'm actually, uh, I'm working on the defensive one right now. Uh, by the time mm-hmm. people listen to this, that will probably be up at The Athletic. Uh, we had the uh, offensive depth chart that went up on Tuesday, uh, you know, rather than going through the whole thing point by point, uh, because it is January yeah. after all, um, you know, one of the the themes that uh, that kind of came up to me as I was working on this is, uh, you know, in the in the positions that are up for grabs, and I think this is true both on offense and on defense. Mm-hmm. There are there are the guys who uh, are you know have been in the program for a while and are kind of like now or never type of guys, oh, yeah, yeah. you know, guys who yep. maybe are, you know, redshirt juniors who haven't played a ton. And it's like, if it's going to happen for them, it probably needs to happen now. Yeah. Uh, and then you've got kind of the next wave of either redshirt freshmen or, or you know, true freshmen as part of the 2020 class who are going to come in here and, and compete. Um, Nick, I'm kind of curious. So the, when I was doing the, the defensive depth chart, the hardest one for me, hardest position group by far, uh, was that linebacker group. Yeah. And that is one where there are some of those like now or never type of guys, you know, who, right. who've kind of been in the background for a couple of years. And you think, well, if it's going to happen for them, uh, it better happen now. If you had to kind of project out where uh, Don Brown is going to going to make the pieces fit with that linebacker group, uh, what, do you, what are you looking at right now? Yeah, I think you start with – McGrone is your your mic, and then you sort of work from there, and then you and then you ask yourself, um, you know, are they going to be uh, the type of three three five type team that they were last year, where Uche, you know, do you have another Josh Uche? Uh, and you know, if you look at the if you look at the roster, I think they've recruited guys that they want to be Josh Uche types that were you know Uche, I think uh, weighed in or measured into the Senior Bowl today. At six one two forty five, and he runs like a four six. I want to say something like that. So I mean, a pretty special kind of unique combination. I I don't know off the top of my head if they have another guy who can step in and do exactly what Uche did across mm-hmm. the board. Michael Barrett is the is the guy that I, I I don't know where he winds up. Right. So it's like, is he going to be that Viper hybrid safety linebacker spot, or would he be a Sam linebacker who? Uh, but at the same time, I don't think you can put him on the ground and let him rush the quarterback the way they did with Uche. So, um, you know, those two would be in the mix uh, for sure. And then my other question would be, is Josh Ross, um, does Josh Ross suddenly just become the the de facto sort of, 
you know, the weakened side linebacker, the the will or whatever you want to call it, um, with Jordan Glasgow's departure, do you do you slot him in there and let him play with McGrone? I'm not sure. You know, so that's the question, right? It was the question last year too. Was with all that lack of depth along the defensive interior, uh, I mean, they're going to have to hit the transfer portal for the defensive line. Um, you know, especially the defensive tackle, they are too thin up front, especially now with Michael Dwumfor transferring to Rutgers. Um, so you'd have to think that, right, it's going to be another one of those odd man fronts with the extra linebacker, and I don't know. I mean, you're going to have to maybe ask some younger guys to grow up a little faster, and, you know, because some of the older guys to us, and like we said, some of the guys who it was now or never for, they chose never, and they're gone. You know, like yeah. Jordan mm-hmm. Jordan Anthony is gone. You know, like guys like that, uh, they transferred. So, uh, or at least have decided, you know, to enter their name in the transfer portal. So, um, you know, that's, that's an interesting scenario, and it's one where last year I think, you know, Don Brown had to do a lot of, uh, you know, decision-making in terms of what they wanted the defense to look like. And I think this year, you know, fair to suggest that maybe they go into spring with some experiment experimentation again. Yeah, it is, uh, you know, it's similar to what we talked about, I think, going into this season. Uh, the big question is, you know, who are your who are your best 11 guys? You know, figure out who mm-hmm. your best players are and then figure out how to get them on the field. Um, uh, Josh Ross, I think, is probably one of Michigan's best 11 guys. I don't know yeah. exactly where he plays. I don't know. I, I think I think you're on to something that, you know, that weak side linebacker spot. I don't think you're moving McGrone. I think McGrone has, you yeah. know, I think he really took ownership of that uh, middle linebacker spot. Could definitely see Josh Ross moving into uh, that weak side linebacker spot where where Jordan Glasgow played, uh, but yeah, I, I I thought the same thing when I was doing this is looking at Michigan's roster. It's like you know I don't I don't see anybody uh, that does what Josh Uche does. Uh, no, but also you know it took Josh Uche how many years to become the player that he was this right. year. You know I'm right. not sure. Uh, you know. You, you would have seen him when he was early in his career. Um, maybe he wasn't the player then uh, that, no. that he is, that he became. Uh, so some guys, you know, it takes some time for the light bulb to come on. And, you know, he kind of was one of those now or never guys uh, where it was, you know, the clock was kind of ticking for him and it was getting later in his career. Uh, and he ended up, you know, having a really good, you know, this was his fourth year, right? Ended up having a really yep. good year and being in position now that he's going to get drafted probably in, in the top, half of the draft. Yeah, and I think it's interesting because like um Uche would have told you he would have said last year that he was ready for it, but he probably wasn't. And I mm-hmm. think Don Brown knew as much and sort of said that, but I mean, you know, he got hurt pretty early in his career and then had to add weight. I mean, I think he was like a 210-pound player when he got here or something like that. And he added 30, 40 pounds whatever it was. And then sort of, you know, Don Brown had a plan for him. It was pretty long term. I think they've got some other guys on the roster like this, you know, Jalen Harrell they recruited from Tampa this year, which is you know, he's 6'4", 235. That, you know, he can run. I think that that's what they're looking at when they're looking at somebody in that. I don't know if he's actually 6'4 or not, but I mean, that's, that's the type of situation. And they recruited a lot of those guys who are the hybrid type players who um, could maybe rush the passer on, off the edge, but also, you know, drop out in the coverage uh, and then play straight linebacker as well. Uche, of course, being sort of the you know, the, the example of that, which is why, you know, I wrote about him a ton in the summer, last summer, because I, I kept writing over and over again, Don Brown has not had a player since he's been at Michigan with the skill set of Josh Uche. So he, he sort of either created a position for him or already knew that he was going to have that in his back pocket and he went to it. Now I'm not real sure, you know, so sort of where it goes back to. They've been a package defense since he got here. And I think that's important to remember. And that's so when we're looking at this and we look at who's the best 11 
sometimes, you know, that can get a little wonky with Don Brown when you're asking that question with Don Brown because uh, it's maybe more about who's the who are, the core guys who are never going to leave the field, right? So it's like, who's your best, like, eight? And then, you know, those guys are, like, so this year it would have been, you know, um, McGrone's never leaving the field. Uh, Metellus is never leaving the field. Uh, Hudson, um, eventually it became Uche, you know, but, you know, Aiden Hutchinson never leaving the field. Uh, you know, it's like seven, eight guys, you know, Levert, the corners are never coming off the field. So some of those linebackers are going to rotate. Some of those defensive linemen are going to rotate. They'll have days where they play the even front. They'll have days where they play the odd front. I, I think it's going to be multiple across the board. And, and, and you know, you're going to see a lot of experimentation probably in the spring more than they've ever had, especially in the middle of the defense. Because like you said, Austin, other than McGrone, because we don't even know with Josh Ross, we don't even know what <laughs> what, what to think there. But other than McGrone, it's it's so open that I think that they'll just throw things all over the place. I mean, Don Brown's probably actually going to have a lot of fun with it because you have a lot of chances for a lot of guys to step up here now really across the front seven and make something happen. And, and I guess you could probably argue across the whole defense, right? I mean, it's, it's probably not the easiest thing in the world uh, to project even the safeties, if we're going to be honest here. So, you know, I don't, I don't know. I mean, it's, at least depth-wise, you know, who's behind mm-hmm. who. Um, so, you know, an interesting year. One of those years where it's either going to be all the guys who are it's now or never, or it's going to be an extremely young defense, and we're going to see a bunch of guys transfer in like week seven. <laughs> so it's going to be one of the two. <laughs> but you know, and uh, and I guess we'll we'll find out uh, we'll find out which is, or we'll see a bunch of guys transfer in like fall camp. We've seen that before too, right? Where it's like yeah. you spend the whole off season talking about, oh man, this is this guy's third year, he's ready to go, he's ready to go, and then three days before game week starts, that guy's like, well, I'm fourth on the depth chart, so I'm out of here. You know, <laughs> so it's like so we could see some of that too. You know, I guess it's a, it's an interesting time. Uh, because there's so many unanswered questions kind of across the board there. Yeah, well, I think the other position group with with a bunch of unanswered questions right now is the offensive line, and I think the other you know, position coach who's going to have a really interesting spring is, is Ed Warner. Uh, you know, in in a good way, I think, in terms of having a bunch yeah. of guys who have a chance, uh, you know, to to stand out from the crowd. Uh, when I was doing uh, the offensive depth chart, man, I was I was throwing a lot of darts on that offensive line. <laughs> Be honest with you, uh, yeah. Because I think I think there's a lot of ways they can go. You know, I, I the center uh, center position was a tough one. Um, yeah. You know, do, do they go with a guy like Andrew Vistardis, who who's been around? Uh, just one of the young guys like uh, Nolan Rumler or Zach Carpenter. Are they ready to step in and play that position as a redshirt freshman? Uh, you know, is it does it end up being an offensive line that skews toward? The older guys, you know, speaking of now or never, like Chuck Filiaga, who's been around yeah, a while, yeah. uh, does it skew toward the experience or does it skew toward let's get the young guys out there and let them play through the mistakes? I think that'll be interesting. <clears throat> yeah, and it's interesting because, the, again, you know, in this situation, they have a couple guys, not that many though, but a couple who were like, okay, Jalen Mayfield's going to start somewhere, whether it be right tackle or left tackle. Jalen Mayfield's going to be an, a draft pick at some point. So we, we know he's going to start. Um, we're pretty sure Andrew Stuber is going to be a guard, uh, probably a right guard, uh, and because you know they were pretty, they were pretty confident in his ability to start if he had to last year at tackle, and he may have started over Mayfield if he'd stayed healthy when the season started. You know we don't know that by now, of course. So Stuber probably going to play. Uh, Ryan Hayes, you would think probably going to play, uh, and then we start to get into sort of the the murkier like the center, uh, whether or not they want you know, Mayfield to stay at right tackle, or do you let Mayfield play left tackle? And maybe you let somebody like Carson Barnhart, the young kid who they really liked a lot, who was in the two deep, who was a backup this year at tackle. Uh, maybe he can step in and play, or if he beats somebody out. And then the center spot, like you said, is probably the most wide open where 
you know, is Zach Carpenter or Nolan Rumble, are they ready to do this? Um, are you that confident in Vistardis as a, as a former walk-on to come in and, and do this? So I mean, in that case, then you're saying, you know, Vistardis is of like the Graham Glasgow level because, mm-hmm. you know, Graham was a former walk-on who eventually got a scholarship and was became a draft pick and uh, they trusted him with everything. And I'm not sure if Andrew Vistardis is in that same conversation. Uh, I'm not sure if Zach Carpenter and Nolan Rumble are ready yet. Uh, and I'm not sure that Michigan's not done looking into the transfer portal to see what they can do to shore up the middle of that offensive line. But, you know, they do have a few guys um, <clears throat> who we know are going to play, and we, they have a few guys who they know they can count on, I think. And I think Ryan Hayes probably is included in that list. So you got three of the five, I think, that they're pretty comfortable with. And, um, you know, they'll let them compete and see what happens. But, yeah, another great example, Chuck Filiaga. Time to go, right? It's like it's yeah. now or never, you know? It's like this is it. You, you either – win a job now or you're never, you know, if you lose to like a sophomore, I mean, in, you know, unless a bunch of people get hurt, you know, it's, it's tough. So that's the, mm-hmm. that's the really, <laughs> the thing they never talk to you about when you're, when you're being recruited is that by year three, um, yeah, if you're not ready to go, like by year three, no matter what you play, it's going to be a tough task. And, uh, you know, you, you're going to have to have some fortunate bounces from there. So anybody entering that third season, uh, you know, we saw it this year with the 2017 guys, you know, and if you enter that third year and you're on shaky ground or not all the way firm ground, that thing can either take off or fall apart in a, in a hiccup. And, um, you know, Michigan's 2018 class now is coming up on that. There's a lot of guys on defense, especially, uh, that are in that, like, we've seen you on this roster for two full seasons and we haven't heard anything from you really. We've heard message boards tell us how great you were going to be, but we haven't heard <laughs> anything or seen anything yet. So, you know, now it's time to see it. And there's a lot of those guys. And that's an always interesting time because sometimes that means somebody just explodes like Uche. Or that means somebody says, all right, well, this really wasn't for me and I move on. And, you know, that's part of college football too. Yeah, I at this time of the year, I tend to kind of default to the older players, you know, when we're making these projections. Because with the younger guys, I just, I kind of want to, I kind of want to hear it a little bit. Uh, You know, we don't watch practice. You know, we don't. Uh, you know, we don't get to see the reps, uh, but you kind of, you know, by the time you get through spring, you kind of get a feel for who are the guys that we haven't seen on the field that people are really talking about. Right. And as you start to hear that with some of the younger players, then you feel a little bit more comfortable, maybe bumping some young guys up ahead of some yeah. older guys. Um, but at this point in the year, you know, you, you kind of, you kind of default to the, to the older yeah, players. Yeah. Uh, but no, it's gonna be it's gonna be an interesting uh, interesting spring here. I actually uh, uh, this morning I, I chatted with uh, John Wilner from the San Jose Mercury News mm-hmm. uh, because uh, the Pac-12 has uh, three really marquee non-conference games. Oregon plays Ohio State, and Michigan plays uh, uh, Michigan plays Washington to open the season. So yeah, <laughs> we've got a couple uh, really uh, interesting yeah, crossover, crossover yeah. games uh, to look look forward to and. Uh, a lot of a lot of work for Michigan to get done between now and uh, next September. Yeah, and it's interesting. Like spring, and I, that was a point I wanted to hit on spring ball. You know, you mentioned it. You know, we hear a lot about these early enroll of the young kids and this, that, and the other. And the, and the older kids tend to be, um, you know, the guys who we hear more about in spring. But go time is fall camp, and I think that most everyone will tell you that it's what you've done. Spring ball is not nothing. Um, you know, it's not irrelevant. It's important. Uh, and, and they're going to tend to lean in, lean in the trust factor more towards guys who are out there uh, playing through bumps and bruises and doing the things that they need to do to get their work in. 
but it's what it's about what you're able to accomplish in the summer and what you're able to do when the lights really come on in fall camp. Because that's why we see all these, you know, all uh, Brandon and I used to joke all the time when we had our old podcast. One of these days, and maybe we'll do this one time, we're going to make a list of all the guys who we were told were the light has come on for this guy in the winter <laughs> and the spring. Man, he is ready to go. Just read the message boards; they'll tell you right. And that list is like exhausting it's so big and so <laughs> exhaustive and when the lights really come on in fall camp and the players reveal themselves sometimes those guys fall off and so it's really kind of it becomes a difficult task for people to get not too excited or overexcited or over or, or, or too angry sometimes in some cases so uh it's a long off season but um you know uh, all of it will get taken care of in due time but it, it will be interesting this spring because i think uh there'll be a lot of guys getting a lot of reps because this is kind of a young team. It's not the youngest team that they've ever had, but it's kind of an old, it's kind of a young team on experience. It's like they've got a lot of guys who've been in the program for a minute, but some of those guys haven't really played. So um, it's an interesting time. I don't know what I would even call it. If it's a rebuild or a reload or what, do you reload nine and four? I don't know if that's what you do, but uh, yeah, it's an interesting time right now for sure. Yeah, well, plenty of time to get ourselves all hyped up for the uh, 2020 season. We are uh, doing our part here at The Athletics. So, yeah, check out the uh, the First Look Blitz this week. Uh, and, hey, thanks, everybody, for checking out the podcast as well. We uh, really appreciate it. Nick and I will be uh, continuing to podcast here through the off offseason, uh, up until signing day at least, and then we'll be checking in with you uh, during spring ball. So uh, stay tuned for some future episodes. Uh, until then, thanks, everybody, for checking out the RPM podcast. A place for you inside of me I've seen a lot of faces